hello everybody. We have a room full of people, or perhaps not, because they might be a bit tired of doing conferences. <coughs> Nonetheless, I have a great pleasure of having the one and only Liv Bizemans here with me. I don't think that Liv would really need, need much introduction, but you've been in the industry for quite a while. You've seen at least a lot, if mm -hmm. not all of it, and we will be talking about your time with, well, originally Unibet, and these days, of course, Kindred. But uh, welcome on the show, first Thank of you. all. And, but let me start with talking about a topic that is very close to the hearts of the two of us, because we have both relocated from the UK to the United States. Uh, you've just told me that it's been already two years you've been here. I relocated, literally. 10 days ago, so we both made the jump, and I'm probably mimicking you following in your footsteps, but just tell me and the audience there behind the camera, what was that switch like? What was it for you? Are things different at this side of the pond? And I'm not only talking about the industry, of course, the industry is booming, we will come on to that, yeah. but you know, life in America, what's that like? Yes, a very tough question. First of all, Martin, welcome to America. I know Thank you've you. been waiting for a very long time to cross the Atlantic and COVID obviously didn't help, but I think the industry is lucky to have you on this side. So That's very kind. welcome. Thank you. Um, it's been quite a journey. So yes, I moved from London to uh, New York two years ago, a bit over two years ago. Um, basically accomplishing a lifelong dream. You know, when you're a teenager and you visit New York for the first time, I was 16, it left such an impression on me and to be able to do what I love in a city like New York is, is obviously incredible. Um, in terms of um, the jump from the UK to the US, um, it's, uh, they're quite similar yet very different at the same time. I think one thing that they have in common is football in very different forms, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> soccer versus football, um, but DNA or sports is in both nations' DNA. And uh, going to a sports game, whether it's in the UK or in, in the US, is such an experience and such an event, and it brings people together, families, friends, etc. I think the big difference in the US is that um, sports is an event. It's not just watching teams play, it's performances, it's DJs, it's t-shirt shooting contests, it's lots of advertisements. So, you know, the, the, the Americans tend to take anything to the next level. So everything's bigger, everything's better, um, and you learn that very quickly. Um, I think um, a big difference, what I've learned is because it's such a big country, distance is almost a non-issue. I have colleagues traveling to the office or commuting one and a half hour each way, uh, and that's perfectly normal. In London, we complain about a 20-minute commute. Um, but no, it's been, it's been great. Um, I'm hoping for the travel ban to be lifted very soon. I haven't seen my family for two years, so I cannot wait to get back to Europe. Um, but COVID has also allowed me to really discover the US and travel more. I fell in love with New England. The New England states are incredible. Um, I spent my summer holiday in Alaska. Um, so we made the most of it, um, but I hope to be going back to, uh, to Europe very soon. As good as it gets, I should have apologized to the virtual audience for using my phone. I'm not checking the latest course, that's just my cheat sheet <laughs> with all the questions that I will be asking left today. But to your point, yeah, I'm in love with New England as well. To my utter shame, I happen to be a New England Patriots fan. You've just talked about football. My wife, just like you, I suppose, she loves going to the live games, but every Sunday night she's not necessarily best pleased with me when I watch again in her, in her birds. Oh, you're watching that thing again, why? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, 
Honey, but you love going to the live games. I know it's not the same, but you know, I love the game as well, not just the show. Anyway, do you happen to have a football team? You know, you've been here for two years. Not a football team, and I know you have to have a team. You don't matter in a conversation if you don't have a team, but I found a love for baseball. Um, it's such a cool sport to go watch because it, you know, it's, it's nine innings, there's time to go for a beer, grab a hot dog, catch up with friends, and you're in the stadium, so go Yankees. Um, have to support the local team. So yeah, baseball is my thing, definitely. Abs absolutely, and we should wish the, the Astros and the Braves, for one reason or another, I've always been an Atlanta Braves fan, I can't really explain it, but we should wish them well yeah. in, the, in the World Series, indeed. Now, and you've talked about similarities between England and the US, you know, in terms of the differences, as they say, it's two nations that speak English, but they are divided by the same language. Any observations or perhaps hilarious stories. I've got a couple of my own, but the whole podcast is about you, not about me. Yeah, I mean, you speak the same language, but not really. Um, people have no idea what you mean when you talk about the tube or a jumper or trousers. Um, so you do have to learn the local lingo. Um, you, your accent has to change as well. I hate it when people say I've Americanized, but that's what comes when you've been here for two years. Um, but no, I think what I really love about Americans, it's the openness, um, the friendliness. I mean, New Yorkers have a really bad reputation. I think that's very, reputation that's very unfair. Um, I think, yeah, the, the hospitality, especially during COVID, um, you know, when you're here by yourself without your close family, um, I've, I've made friends for life, uh, neighbors who come to help. So I think that kind of community pulling together, which is very often or comes with a big city or a big city life, I find incredible. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I think my heart is here now. Fantastic. I'm very glad to hear that. And clearly we've got a lot to learn. It will be a steep curve, but also with the help of great people such as Liv, I'm sure we will get there. If I may move on to the industry now, because ultimately this is a responsible gambling podcast and we will be broadcast on, on SBC and that's what SBC is all about. Of course, we met for the first time many, many, many moons ago and you were the company that happened to have been called Unibet mm -hmm. at that time, because Unibet's moved on to becoming Kindred, and I used to be with a company called Betfair, part of the Flutter group, although they seem to be changing their name every other <laughs> week, but the latest one I've heard is Flutter. So if you don't mind giving me your take on the transformation within the industry and all the M&A yeah. activity, I should also say that we are filming this right after DraftKings announcement, they will walk away from Entain, so not as, it's not as though I'll be getting into any detail, but let's just say that I'm still very much part of Entain. But if you could give me your take on what's been happening, and once again, I suppose America's the, the place to be when it comes to transformation and M&A. Yeah, I mean, the M&A trend in this industry has been incredible. And, you know, we're both legal professionals. To be at the forefront of this revolution, almost, or this transformational change in the industry is, is a privilege, in a sense. Um, I think we've obviously seen this M&A movement in Europe, where we both come from, and we see that now happening in the US. So the consolidation trend is here, and it's definitely going to continue for the next couple of years. I think there's probably four trends that we should consider. There's the typical consolidation, smaller operators being acquired by bigger ones, or bigger companies acquiring bigger companies. Um, you know, you mentioned DraftKings and Tain, <laughs> not happening, but still, if anyone has $22 billion, you know, there's, there's opportunities in the industry. So I think, 
I don't think that's going to change at some point. Um, I don't think we're going to see this, you know, the, the Google or the Facebook or, you know, the Twitter of the gambling industry anytime soon. I think what we'll see is a combination of very big companies. Um, but we'll, there's, I think there's still plenty of um, space for smaller companies, niche companies who offer something that others don't, whether it's product related, whether it's brand related, whether it's... So I think you'll see a combination of both in the coming years. I think there's three trends that we've seen very recently pop up. One is supplier M&A, quite interesting, for instance, Net and Evolution but also B2C operators bringing B2B technology back in-house, uh, which is a bit of a, you know, a, a different trend than what we've seen years ago. Um, I think it's driven by operators wanting to be in control again of their own products, uh, of their own delivery pipeline, but also uh, to be able to differentiate to the customer uh, more and really own what they're selling, um, because ultimately we're quite a generic industry in that sense. So I think that's been a very interesting one. Um, another one is um, you know, operators who work in one single product vertical acquire companies to expand their product scope, but also their brand, you know, sportsbook operators acquiring casino technology and vice versa. Um, kind of based on a DF, DF, uh, DFS model uh, a couple of years ago here in the US. And then the last one, which I think is the most interesting one, um, and we've seen it in the esports industry where non-endemic operators kind of enter the landscape, Adidas, Visa, Miami Heat. Um, and I think we're going to see a very similar um, industry uh, trend in the sportsbook industry. And I think that's going to be a game changer. So something to watch. And as always, as the ultimate legal professional, you've already anticipated and answered my next question, which was going to be whether we're going to see the Amazon or the Google of the gambling industry, a behemoth-like operator anytime soon, I take it the answer is a no. And personally, I would agree with that. Perhaps the question I would have for you then would be, again, are, is the US any different in that regard? Mm. Because, of course, the trend in Europe is towards having the big names in every single market and perhaps like for example in Central and Eastern Europe there are maybe a couple of regional operators but they may be in all honesty struggling mm -hmm. with the big names coming in or at least their exposure would not have been as massive as it would have been in the past but it would appear that with the great variety of the US markets and a lot of people would call it the U.S. market, and with all due respect, I would suggest that that is wrong because there's not a, a single U.S. market, and some people would even yep. argue that there's perhaps not a single U.S. nation, uh, 50 or 50-plus 50 states and, and territories. So yep. do you believe that that leans itself to opportunities for what you call niche operators or perhaps mid-size or smaller operators that may actually focus on a couple of either regional markets or they may try across the nation, but they would not necessarily be represented in every single territory that will have regulated? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, actually. I think the main similarity that we see between Europe and the US is the fragmentation. It's the member state by member state or the state by state in the US. So there's no one regime, there's no one framework. Um, it, obviously creates challenges from a scalability point of view, because as an operator, you have to have the scale to be able to launch in 50 plus states. Um, and I think because there's only a handful of operators who can do that, you see companies like ourselves who really target specific states based on a number of indicators. I think it's every company by itself determines what are the benchmarks for entering a state. Um, but you can be successful. 
either by um, you know investing in your brand, providing something different to the customer. Um, we have you know uh, the, the, a limited number of iGaming states in the U.S., but still uh, those are very successful states: Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Michigan. So I think there is still plenty of opportunity for niche operators who really focus their efforts on that state to offer something different than the bigger brands do. So I think there is that opportunity. Um, but and again, smaller companies will have to have a targeted approach in one sense because of that scalability which comes at a cost, it's very difficult to tackle 50 states at the same time. And to your earlier point, actually, if they are very successful, they may find themselves being a target of some of those bigger companies, or even, as you call them, non-endemic companies. Yeah. If we could move on to talking about Kindred, I suppose, mm -hmm. the business that is, for obvious reasons, very close to your heart, mm -hmm. a big company, one of the leading operators in many fields, but in particular responsible gambling. And as I've said, ultimately, this is a responsible gambling podcast. So could you tell me more about Kindred's responsible gambling philosophy approach and DNA? What is it you're yeah. trying to achieve and what makes you stand out from the crowd of all those operators that perhaps are saying that they are very cognizant and mindful of responsible gambling and consumer protection issues, but yeah, I do see Kindred as definitely one of the top ones. Yeah. So what's the story there? No, absolutely. And let me take it back, obviously, to what we've done in Europe. Um, I think Kindred has always been one of the companies that genuinely believes that having a sustainable business is the only way to be in this industry in the long run. Um, and sustainability for us really means that we... We want to have a long-term relationship with the customer. It's not about um, you know, them spending their entertainment budget, as we call it, from day one. It's really building a sustainable relationship with the customer, go through their life cycle in a very moderate way so you can build something long-term. I think that's kind of the starting principle of, um, of us entering into a relationship with the customer. Um, we've been at the forefront of responsible gaming for a good number of years. Um, and actually, we're the only company that has a very ambitious um, target to have zero revenue coming from harmful gambling by the end of 2023. Uh, we report on that on a quarterly basis, so we're extremely transparent about our efforts, and sometimes the percentages go up. This month or this quarter, actually, they've gone down 1% compared to the previous quarter, so we are seeing the effect of the efforts that we're taking in terms of offering tools to our customers in terms of specifically targeting um, the younger um, um, group of our, of our player population to make sure that they're fully protected. So we are pushing the boundaries and we want the industry to follow our example, both in terms of being ambitious as in terms of let's be transparent, let's put the facts on the table. I think the second point is what allows us to do that is that very early on we've invested in technology to do so. We don't have eyes and ears everywhere. We're an online industry. Everything's traceable and visible. So let's use technology to make sure that we actually get the alerts and the red flags when we need to. So we have something called PSEDS. It's Player Safety Early Detection System. It's our proprietary system. Um, and it allows us to very early on detect potential problem behavior to monitor customers in real time. We see everything in real time that happens and to action any issues that we see. So that's highly successful in avoiding customers going off the rails and staying in control of their behaviors very early on in their player journey. And I think the last one that I really want to stress and that we should take learnings from Europe is the facts and the data. We've missed facts and data in Europe for a very long time, even though markets had already been regulated. We weren't really sure what we were talking about. Um, now we've seen a lot of investment uh, also from companies like Entain in research um, because we've 
we, we've come to understand that policy very often is driven by assumptions, not real data, and technically we don't really know what we're talking about. Um, and that has harmed the industry in Europe tremendously. So I think one thing that hopefully we can do in the US is invest in research and academics and um, PhD students very early on. We have huge pools of data that we can make accessible to researchers in an anonymized fashion. And um, those results, which actually look at the customer and actually see what happens on the platform, can hopefully be implemented in policy decisions so we can come up with something that's, again, sustainable. Fingers crossed, certainly, what you guys have been doing is very, very impressive. The end of 2023 seems to be a very popular date for a variety <laughs> yeah. of reasons, but I shall, I shall digress. Are there any responsible gambling or consumer-related projects you've got in the pipeline you would be allowed to talk about? Of yes. course, I wouldn't want to be forcing you to give away way too much at this stage, because all such projects deserve a proper announcement in yeah. due course. Yeah. Something actually very groundbreaking in my opinion. And we actually, we presented it first during our sustainable gambling conference, which happened a couple of weeks ago in Stockholm, uh, the sixth one we're organizing. And it's a forum where we bring basically all actors in the field together, operators, regulators, researchers, consumers. Uh, and we just put our heads together and we discuss the difficult topics. Um, we are currently working on a study um, with Jonathan Park. He's a leading researcher in this area. Um, and it goes into product differentiation. Um, and it's really trying to disbunk some of the myths there are about short odds versus long odds games. And the assumption has always been that slot games, casino games, or in-play betting um, are a lot more addictive than other games. And what we're trying to do, and they've used a sample sale of our database of more than 300,000 customers, preliminary findings, the study is still ongoing, but actually what they found was that um, racing is uh, prone to addiction, so horse race betting is prone to addiction, slots, as to be expected, obviously has uh, uh, an addiction component, but actually other com uh, casino games like table games, um, uh, roulette, blackjack, are actually score very low on the, uh, on the risk ratio. And I think that's extremely interesting, especially uh, considering the, uh, the very slow rollout of iGaming in the US. We've only seen it in a couple of states. One of the, the big hesitations about regulating iGaming is the fear of addiction. And actually what we're showing right now is that that fear of, of addiction is actually quite misplaced and can be mitigated by other measures. So hopefully, again, by putting these facts on the table and making policymakers and regulators understand what it's really about, um, we can actually uh, stimulate some positive lawmaking in the future. Fingers crossed, once again, very impressive, and we'll make sure we'll be on the lookout for the initiative. You've talked about iGaming in the US, yeah. and we've already touched upon sports betting in the US. We happen to be in the lovely city of Miami. It's incredibly hot and humid outside, but we're in this wonderful location having fun. And now we also have the utmost pleasure to have one of the people in the crowd, one of the man responsible for bringing sports betting to the United States, Mr. Bill Pasquale deferred. So let us talk about sports betting yeah. in, the, in the United States. Of course, Florida has gone away to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. It's got a special twist and uh, California may end up doing the same. And other states, you know, they, they seek, I suppose, to reflect their cultural idiosyncrasies, and earlier we talked about the U.S. being potentially, you know, I'm not an American, I've just landed here, so I will try not to be disrespectful, but they, this, the country seems to be formed of 50 nations that have their own 
rules and traditions. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we've seen this huge bonanza related to sports betting, bid advertising. You know, the World Series just kicked off. The NFL season's in full swing, and every other advert seems to be a gambling advert, and it's really now getting embedded in the US culture, also to your point about it being very closely connected with sports. So yeah. what's your take on all this? Where is this all headed? Do you think iGaming will be regulated anytime soon? And what will happen to sports betting in the long run, in particular from the consumer protection perspective? I appreciate that these are lots of questions. Yeah. So perhaps shall we start with the sports betting one and advertising and then move on to yeah. iGaming yeah. and online casino? I think the point that you raise about cultural, um, I think is very true, much more in the US than it's been in Europe. Um, I think a lot of the states have implemented their regime in line with their cultural background. And I think another um, new factor in the US is that it's not only state regulations, obviously we have federal, but it's also tribal legislation. We have tribal states, and that's, um, that's definitely an interesting angle to, um, to the regulation of sports betting, something that we have no experience with in Europe. Um, and obviously, in the states where we've seen um, a strong push for sports betting regulation, it's usually states that have very strong sports teams. Um, I think that's a close connection between the teams and the leagues um, and ultimately sports betting regulation. I think that's something, that kind of lobby power, we've, we've never seen in Europe. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely key. I think also the US is much more of an advertisement nation than any, any country in Europe. We don't really have that, you know, that big advertisement power that we've, you know, the Super Bowl halftime where commercials are being sold for millions of dollars for 30 seconds. We don't have that culture or history in, in Europe. So I think that's, that's really something um, to keep in mind when you, when you discuss sports betting. However, I also think it's a bit of the, you know, the negative side of the corner. We've seen a complete crackdown in Europe uh, because there was an over offer of advertisement and we've seen you know, ranging from restrictions to watersheds to complete bans on advertisement. So I think there is definitely something for the industry to realize very early on that we don't want to go down the European path. Um, and we need to take our responsibility, whether it's through self-regulations, codes of conduct, etc. But at some point, and I know both New Jersey and Connecticut have already alluded to that, that they are going to be looking into advertisement restrictions. Um, we don't want that as an industry. So I think, again, let's learn from some of the mistakes that we've made in Europe and, and elsewhere um, and try to be responsible and, um, you know, take, yeah, take it on the chin that advertisement cannot be unlimited. Absolutely. And about, briefly, about online casino or iGaming, yeah. if you will, do you reckon it will take it off? And why do you think it hasn't taken off yet? Is it because there's not as much hype about it as there has been about sports betting for all the reasons mm. you have just alluded to? Or is there any other reason why the take-up has been so well, relatively slow? And yeah. is this about to change? Is 2022 potentially the year for online casino? I wish. I don't think it will be. Um, I think the states, obviously, that have implemented iGaming regulations, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan as kind of the leading examples, um, really show the potential of iGaming. It's actually, the potential is much higher than sports betting. That's where, you know, the, the, the revenues really sit. Um, so I think if you look at it from a commercial or tax revenue perspective, it makes perfect sense to implement iGaming regulations. And we know that Indiana's looking into it. Um, there's talks about Virginia, Illinois. So there are some states looking into it. I think 
Um, a, you know, the point that I made about concerns about potential, um, you know, more risky games or addiction. I think there's also the land-based interests, and this is where it gets really political. Um, but I think the land-based interests and the fact that there wasn't a very strong lobby from anyone to implement iGaming, unlike the sports teams or the media companies with sports betting, um, I think that has definitely slowed down um, the iGaming potential. So I think we might see some progress in terms of bills being passed in 2020. Two, I think it'll take until 2023, until we see maybe one or two more states implementing. I think in general it's going to be a lot slower than sports betting, unfortunately. We shall see. I would subscribe to that. In the meantime, we shall be enjoying that sports betting bonanza. And I suppose, unfortunately, most of us Europeans, when we were still in Europe, the halftime show, fantastic show, but you know, it, it gets in the way at 3 a.m. Yes. It gets in the way of the second half, and unfortunately, a lot of people would fall asleep and only to wake up to potentially drastic news that they directly might not have won might not have won the Super Bowl, but I shall digress once again. And we are at the LATAM conference here in Miami, and it would be a shame not to talk about Latin America yeah. a little bit. Uh, you've mentioned the fact that the Americans, I suppose just like many other nations in the world, are very sports avid, they love their sports, and a football mad nation, different football, football as in soccer, not football, is Brazil. I, as some of you there will know, have a personal vested interest in the country because my wife happens to be from Brazil and our daughter is half-half, so she's at least half-Brazilian. When do you think we will finally get to see the ever-elusive, I don't mean to be disrespectful to my Brazilian family and others in Brazil, the ever-elusive Brazilian sports betting regulation. There's been a lot of talk, but mm -hmm. now we are getting closer. Yeah. to that mooted deadline. So do you think it will happen? Will it happen anytime soon? Oh, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? I think obviously we've had some really good examples in, in um, you know, south of the border. We've had Colombia, very liberal model. Um, you know, we have Argentina, who's obviously more provincial based. Um, but there's some really good examples of what works very well um, in, in Latin America. I think Brazil, you know, I read the other day that they're also talking about online, 